Welcome to the 233rd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I am hosting today uh, and doing all the analysis, um, but next week we will be back to normal. But in this edition, our topics are an overview of my weekend predictions, a look at week 9 of college football, and a look at week 8 of the NFL, uh, and also, of course, our look at MLB, which is now in the World Series and Coming to a close, but let's jump right in with a look back at my weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, starting in the NFL, where I went 3-1 and one in my predictions. In college football, I went 2-2, two and two. and in NBA opening weekend predictions, I went 4-0, making me 9-3 and three combined and bringing me to an 842-559 and 559 overall record, which is good enough for a 60.1% winning percentage. My predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday, as always. Um, but going back to this, we will start in the NFL, where the Cowboys beat the Rams 43-20. That one was a pretty easy one to predict, but there, there was overall kind of a lack of good games this weekend, so it, it kind of had to get on there because the Rams had a had an okay record, have looked good against good teams. Uh, this game, that was not the story at all. The Cowboys dominated this one start to finish, but I got that one right. Um, the Jaguars beat the Steelers 20-10. to Not necessarily the most interesting game, but it was supposed to be close, and I guess you could say it was. Um, only a few big plays really guiding the Jaguars to that victory. The Steelers did a good job of holding the Jaguars in check and not allowing them to uh, score too many touchdowns. A lot of their scoring was via field goal, uh, and that obviously made it e- easier for the Steelers to stay in the game, but they weren't quite able to finish the deal. Uh, then you have the Seahawks, who beat the Browns 24-20. to this one, I probably would have picked the Browns if they had Deshaun Watson, but I'm not as trusting in P.J. Walker, even though they did go 2-1 with Walker as the starter if Watson is to come back next week. Uh, but the Seahawks played a good game. Uh, they had some mistakes. Their, Geno's two interceptions definitely didn't help, but that's really just the Browns' defense being super disruptive. Um, but in the end, they got the game-winning drive that they needed, and they were able to pull out the victory. Uh, and then the Bengals beat the 49ers 31-17. I lost that one. That one I was really going back and forth on all week long. Um, hard to decide if, you know, Sam Darnold was going to be good enough to get the victory for the 49ers or if he was even going to be playing and if that would be a better thing if a healthy Darnold, a fully healthy Darnold played rather than a potentially partially concussed Brock Purdy. Um, but in the end, I ended up picking the Niners and that ended up being wrong. Uh, but that was the only prediction I got wrong in college football. Kansas beat number six Oklahoma 38-33 in a game that came Right down to the wire, I'm going to talk about that one more later because there were a bunch of other elements involved in that. Number eight, Utah, I got that one wrong, though, I should mention. Uh, number eight, Oregon beat number 13, Utah, 35-6 to on the road. Look, I thought Oregon was better than they were last year to the point that they wouldn't have this slip-up in the road game uh, against Utah. But I didn't think they were this much better that they would just make this game a blowout. I thought U- Utah's defense would at least... Uh, caused some havoc, and Oregon wouldn't really be their typical selves on offense, but 35 points is pretty much what you would expect. Oregon's defense holding Utah's offense down is something that I did expect to happen. Their defense is a lot better than it gets credit for. So overall, I really did think this was a pretty comfortable pick to make, but I wasn't exactly expecting the game to be as comfortable uh, for Oregon, expecting more of like a 28-17 type of close-ish game uh, with a little lower scoring rather than 35-6 to like it was. Speaking of games that weren't really close, number 18, Louisville beat number 20, Duke, 23 to nothing. I have more on this later, um, so I'm not going to talk about it too much now, but I got those two right. And then number 21, Tennessee, went on the road to beat Kentucky, 33 to 27. A pretty good win by Tennessee, one that I definitely didn't expect them to pull out. I picked Kentucky in this game. 
uh, even though Tennessee was, I believe, the Vegas favorite. But overall, it was a really close game. Uh, it was exactly, kind of played out exactly how it was supposed to. The team that made more plays in the bigger moments ended up winning the game, and that really shouldn't be too surprising. Uh, but it just happened to be that Tennessee was the team that was able to do that on the road. And then in the NBA, I went 4-0 in those predictions, which is a good start to a season that I'm normally not as good at uh, record-wise predicting, but that's just due to all the craziness in the NBA of, you know, players randomly resting in primetime matchups and that being the side of the day of, you know, you pick a game, you pick the Mavericks to win, and all of a sudden Luka Doncic isn't playing, and I didn't know that on Thursday, but I would have known that on Friday. That happens so much in the NBA, uh, whereas... Football is typically a little more secure with how they report injuries. It's pretty easy to kind of track that stuff throughout the week. There's only a few rare cases where it's harder to track. But for the opening week of the season, no one's injured pretty much. Um, the only injury or anything uh, related to a player not playing that affected these predictions is that the Nuggets played against the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies obviously don't have John Morant as he's dealing with that 25-game suspension of his. Um, but they won 108-104. to 104. The Grizzlies made it actually closer than I expected them to. Um, but the Nuggets were still able to pull out the victory and get me the correct pick. Uh, the Warriors beat the Kings 122-114. to 114. That was a rematch of that postseason series that was probably the best series uh, in the league last year. But fact of the matter is, uh, the Kings are just not on the level of the Warriors currently. They can take games off of them, but when, with the Kings not playing their best, they're not going to beat the Warriors when the Warriors are playing their best. And despite not having Draymond Green... Uh, the Warriors' new look with Chris Paul is looking really, really good on offense, and that was reflected in this game as they got this victory. Um, but again, I did predict it correctly, so it's not like I didn't see that coming. Uh, and then the Celtics beat the Heat 119-111. Again, kind of the same story of just not quite on the level, despite the fact that they had an interesting playoff series and the fact that the Heat actually did beat the Celtics in that series last year. But on an individual game-to-game -game basis, I really do feel like the Celtics are and have been the better team, and I think that especially with the addition of Kristaps Porzingis um, and Drew Holiday also, they have really actually gotten better from last year, uh, and I fully expect them to dominate throughout the regular season like they did last year, and maybe this time it'll carry over more into the into the playoffs uh, like it did two years ago when they beat, when they played the Warriors in the NBA Finals. Uh, and then the Pelicans beat the Knicks 96-87. to 87. The one thing I knew that would happen this weekend is that the Knicks might be a little bit groggy on the second end of a back-to-back uh, the first back-to-back -back of the season. Pretty brutal playing the first Friday night and then on Saturday night um, in the first week of the season, but the Pelicans were able to take advantage of that, and they defeated the Knicks, who were playing that back-to-back, -back, and I got all of those games correct, as I said earlier, to get to a 9-3 and record. But that's all I got about this week's predictions. Now we will move on to college football action. Starting, as always, with the best games of the week, uh, we will start with number 21, Tennessee, beating Kentucky 33-27. Tennessee came out in this game, came out on fire, up 10 to nothing at the end of the first quarter, and that was really the thing that led them to the victory. Uh, Kentucky was able to even it out throughout the rest of the game and keep it close, but just that hot start that Kentucky, sorry, that, that Tennessee was able to get, uh, it had them at a 23-17 halftime lead also, despite the fact that Kentucky... Uh, did score 17 points in that second quarter, and then they were they played each other even in the second half, so Tennessee was able to take home the victory there. Um, more important game for various reasons. Number 24, USC, which, by the way, they have fallen so far down since the beginning of the season, um, beat Cal 50-49, to and I, I just got to say, I mean, this game was crazy. Uh, USC was leading like they were supposed to, 17-14 to at the end of the first quarter, but they had already given up 14 points, and that was a sign of things to come. They did not score in the second quarter. 
while Cal scored another 14 and took a 28-17 lead into the half and actually led before the fourth quarter and had an opportunity to go for two and win the game uh, that they didn't convert. Um, Look, all I got to say is this USC team, we knew the defense was going to be an issue, but we just assumed that maybe the transfers that they had and everything like that would be enough to account for that. And Caleb Williams is just such a special talent that no matter what happened with their defense, they would still be good enough to just beat teams on offense alone. Yes, they're able to do that against Cal, but they really have not been able to do that against good teams this year. Basically, anybody who can get a few stops against them will beat them. Uh, And and all of the good teams in the Pac-12 are capable of doing that. Washington and Oregon both have those types of defenses that are capable of that. I think Oregon State, frankly, has a defense that's good enough to do that. I don't exactly remember if they play them or not. Um, But, look, this USC team has just become a massive disappointment, and... um, they are the one of my playoff picks who actually isn't currently undefeated. Every other playoff pick I have is 8-0, and this team has just taken a complete turn in the wrong direction. Um, then you have Tulane, who beat USC last year in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, they're number 22 in the country, but they struggled this week against Rice. They were up 27-7 to at the half, but in the second half, they got they let that lead go a little bit. Uh, Rice made it 21, or, or cut it to uh, a 7-point lead, uh, excuse me, a 6-point lead at the end of the third quarter. And Tulane was able to actually grind out the game with like a seven or eight minute drive where they wasted pretty much all the time left on the clock uh, and then threw the ball out of bounds on purpose on fourth down. So they probably could have made this a larger margin, but it's worth mentioning that Rice did make a game of this and Tulane is definitely not like USC, the team we saw last year, uh, both of those two teams taking a step back, but you know, both of them still USC seven and two, Tulane is seven and one. Uh, especially in Tulane's case where they've only lost to Ole Miss without Michael Pratt. You you have to look at that resume and still say that's a really good team uh, that they have, although the American in general is a lot weaker this year because of the fact that those teams left, of course, for the Big 12, those teams namely being UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. Um, But then let's move on to the most impressive teams of Week 9, starting with Georgia playing against Florida. Georgia and Michigan have been fighting for the number one spot uh, all, all year long pretty much. Uh, just being very dominant over teams that maybe aren't that good. I I said that Georgia was running into the part of their schedule where we were really going to see what they're made of, and so far, although it was the worst opponent of that stretch, they're passing that test with flying colors. Uh, They dominated Florida. Florida scored on the opening uh, set of the game and then basically couldn't get anything going until garbage time. Uh, Georgia won this game 43-20. Florida scored, like I said, a touchdown on that first drive and then scored 13 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, So clearly had no flow on offense after uh, the first quarter until garbage time. And Georgia, meanwhile, even without Brock Bowers, they were able to sustain their own offensive production and really just knock Florida out. They had just such a good running game in this game, completely dominant like those teams of old with, you know, Nick Chubb, uh, Todd Gurley, even back back more recently to just Zeus White. This team finally has their running game going, and they're going to need it when Brock Bowers is out because they can't be as passing defend dependent, excuse me, uh, with their number one option being out. Although Ladd McConkey is still a good, uh, still a really good weapon that they have as well. Uh, then you have number fourteen Notre Dame who beat Pitt fifty-eight to seven. Gonna be honest, didn't watch any of this game, knew it wasn't going to be very close. But Notre Dame just coming out and being dominant. I, I think this is a team that has a very good chance of having a big discrepancy in between their AP ranking and their playoff ranking. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the playoff rank them ahead of a few of the one-loss teams, definitely as the top two-loss team. Um, You know, maybe Louisville's win over Notre Dame might put them up in that category and put them ahead of Notre Dame, but I wouldn't be surprised if the playoff committee 
put a lot more stock in Notre Dame's win over USC, their close loss to Ohio State, uh, and their win at Duke, and said that those were indicative of a really, really good team. And I think Notre Dame is a really, really good team. Maybe with an easier schedule, they'd be still undefeated, but that is not the case. They scheduled a very hard schedule this year. Uh, some of that more out of circumstance and just teams kind of being better than normal uh, this year, more so than actually scheduling too hard. Obviously, Ohio State, you schedule them assuming it's going to be a top five game, but Duke and Louisville both being ranked is something that doesn't happen very often. Um, and, and, you know, yes, Clemson, who's their opponent this week, isn't as good as normal, so their schedule's taken a hit in other places, but I still do think that Notre Dame had a tougher schedule this year than they realized they thought they had at the beginning of the year. Um, but like I said at the beginning of the season, they were going to impact the playoff race. They have. Uh, you could say they effectively knocked USC out. They effectively knocked Duke out before they suffered another loss. And they might be bolstering Louisville's cases in case Louisville makes a run at the ACC championship. But uh, speaking of Louisville, they beat Duke 23 to nothing. had a 17 to nothing lead at the half. Obviously, this was just a defensive masterclass by the Cardinals. Um, just nothing that I can say that's negative about this team. I mean, obviously... You could say that you'd like them to perform better offensively, but Duke had the top five defense in the country heading into this game, especially um, their scoring defense has been really, really good all year long. And Duke really prides themselves on their defense. So for them to, you know, 23 is a pretty respectable number against this Duke defense, especially considering by the end of the game that they were just trying to run out the clock. Um, And the 14 first quarter points that Louisville got were really just insurmountable uh, for Duke. So I guess all I have to say is I'm really impressed with Louisville. I moved them up in our poll a lot because of what I saw this weekend. I wasn't expecting that much of an outburst, but that win combined with the win over Notre Dame, they really had me believing that this is a really, really good team. Might end up as a top 10 team by the end of the year. We'll just have to see what happens uh, with the war of attrition in other conferences. Speaking of that, number eight, Oregon beat Utah, as I said earlier, just flat out dominated this game. Utah Got a field goal in the first and second quarters and got no scoring the rest of the game. Oregon was done by the third quarter with their need to score. Bo Nix was dominant in this game. Uh, Oregon's offense in general was just too much for Utah to handle. Uh, And as a result, Oregon's walking away with the victory. Probably one of the games that was more popular as as a loss for them at the beginning of the year. Uh, Other than that game against Washington, I can't really think of a game that I was for sure about them losing. I did have them losing at Washington and then at Utah, so... Um, it's interesting because they have now not done that, and I think that in that case, and by the way, this team has been, I think, a little better than I expected, but not that much better. Seeing that, I really do think that this team is probably going to finish the season 11-1 and and is on a collision course for a rematch with Washington uh, in that Pac-12 championship game. It'll be interesting to see what happens with USC and the rest of their schedule. Uh, obviously, Washington has the advantage of currently being undefeated, um, but it would really take USC losing to Washington for them to actually be able to... Uh, or excuse me, USC beating Washington uh, and probably beating Oregon to actually be able to make it back into the Pac-12 championship conversation. Um, and now Utah does have three, th- excuse me, two losses in the Pac-12, a three and two record. So it'll be interesting to see how they play out with the rest of the season, if they're able to pull off any more upsets and impact that race, or even maybe backdoor their way into the Pac-12 championship. If uh, maybe an Oregon State could pull off an upset against Oregon and then Utah might have the tiebreaker against Oregon State. I don't know. I'm throwing scenarios out there. The Pac-12 is always chaos. I'd like to see more chaos in the final year. But right now it's looking, especially with how Oregon looked this week, like Oregon and Washington are going to be the two, um, and they're going to rematch again, which I I would love to see that. So um, I'm all for it if that happens, and Oregon really did impress me this week. Another team that impressed me this week was Florida State. 
Wake Forest isn't exactly cream of the crop of the ACC, but Florida State hasn't exactly blown out those types of teams either. Um, I was just glad to see Florida State come out with really the tenacity that's necessary to beat up on teams at the beginning of the game. Like Georgia and Michigan always seem to have done that this whole season. Um, Ohio State pretty much has too, but you know, just more struggles on offense. On offense, they're not as explosive. They've had injuries that's kind of held them back from doing that at times. But Florida State has had no excuse to really stay close with the teams like Boston College like they have in the past. So I, I'm just impressed to finally see them hit the gas immediately at the beginning of the game. And really, they didn't need to take their foot off the gas pedal. They did um, and still ended up winning 41-16. to But they were up 34-7 to at the half. So it, it was definitely enough. Um I just have to say Florida State really does need to show that they're dominant because I really do think that in the case of a lot of undefeated uh, conference champions, they would probably be the odd man out because of the fact that their schedule is pretty weak and the ACC overall has not been as good and they're one of the few ACC teams that doesn't play Notre Dame. Um, so their schedule is kind of getting weaker by the day and the fact of the matter is they also don't play North Carolina. or they Sorry, they do play North Carolina. That was supposed to be their premier opponent and North Carolina's looked a little shaky, so they're kind of relying on Florida to pick it up at the end of the season and be like a quality, maybe not top 25 win, but just outside of it win, and then same thing with North Carolina. But speaking of North Carolina, let's move on to the biggest upsets of Week 9. North Carolina lost for the second week in a row after a 6-0 start, had them in the top 10. They lost to Georgia Tech. Look, this game is just funny. Georgia Tech didn't do anything in the first or third quarters. I mean that literally they did not score in either of those quarters. Meanwhile, in the second and the fourth, they scored 24 and 22 on their way to a 46 to 42 victory. Um, Georgia Tech ran all over North Carolina. I think they had 200 rushing yards in the fourth quarter alone. And they've now played the number 17 team in the country three different times, uh, which I think is really funny. They have beaten those teams twice. They lost to Ole Miss was the only time that they actually... Uh, did lose to the number 17 team, and, you know, Louisville was also ranked, is currently ranked, or was currently ranked 18 before the week uh, was over, and they also played them in the first game of the season, and in that game, Georgia Tech did the same thing. They scored all their points in the first half and then could not stop Louisville in the second half and lost that game. Um, but Georgia Tech, I don't know what to think about this team. They have alternated uh, losses and wins throughout the season, they're not the only team to do that. Northwestern has also done that in route to a 4-4 four and four record. Um, but the difference is Georgia Tech has pulled off two major upsets uh, while doing that. There, you know, there's now memes out there about the even-weak Georgia Tech team. Uh, you got to watch out. In fact, the matter is they still do play uh, two more ranked teams on even weeks. And most importantly, they play Georgia at the end of the season in Week 12. So, Georgia, you're on upset alert. Uh, you got even-weak Georgia Tech coming after you. Um, but speaking of upsets, obviously that's the category we're on. I'm going to move on from that game, which is just really a disappointing performance by North Carolina's defense more than anything else, um, and move on to Kansas. Speaking of running the ball a lot, Oklahoma's Dylan Gabriel only had 12 passing attempts, I think, until the fourth quarter. The numbers went up by the end of the game because they were losing, um, and they had a little two-minute drill situation, but Oklahoma could not throw the ball. The weather was terrible. Uh, Jason Bean for Kansas also couldn't throw the ball. Uh, but Oklahoma losing this game on the road, I know it's a tough environment to win in. I know that I even picked Kansas to win this game before the season started, uh, and I had Oklahoma losing to Texas and Kansas as the only two losses, and yeah, okay, I, I could take some credit in saying that I called this one before the season, but I had a reverse course on it because Jalen Daniels wasn't supposed to be playing, which makes this even more impressive from Kansas' perspective. Um, Bean and Daniels have been going back and forth all season long. Daniels has been dealing with a nagging injury. 
Uh, I think if Jalen Daniels had started every week of the year, this team might have only had one loss and might be a lot higher in the polls. Uh, not even because I'm saying that Bean is a worse player. I'm just saying that the continuity is really, really important at the quarterback position. Having different quarterbacks playing every week ruins the rapport between the quarterback and the wide receiver. Um, it just makes everything way harder. Uh, but Kansas, despite all the things they've been fighting through, they're right in the thick of things in the race of the Big 12, have currently the best win in the Big 12 outside of Oklahoma's win uh, against Texas, if you're talking about conference wins only. Um, and they're at 6-2, and two, so they've made it to another bowl game two years in a row now, a very big turnaround from Lance Leopold and that program, something Les Miles could not do. Um, but I will move on from that and talk about Arizona. They beat number 11, Oregon State, 27-24. to 24. Uh, all week long, I, I really wanted to predict this game, but I just thought that there was so much variance, and I ended up picking a different game, different games instead um, that had, you know, slightly higher rankings. But the thing is, Arizona has been a really, really good team all year long, but they've just been flying under the radar because their record makes them look way worse than they actually are. Um, it starts with the fact that they've only... Lo- they, two of their three losses are in overtime. Um, they have only lost road games. Uh, or excuse me, they've lost all road games except for a home game against Washington, but they haven't lost by more than seven points all year long. Uh, And, you know, yes, it hurts their resume that they had a one-point win at Stanford. They definitely gutted that one out, but they bounced back from that by taking Washington to a one-possession game back when Washington was really, really just a buzzsaw for everybody. Um, And then, you know, their loss to USC was in triple overtime, definitely had opportunities to win that game and didn't. Uh, and then they went on the road and beat Washington State 44-6. to That's something that unranked teams don't do. They don't go on the road and beat top 20 teams by 40. And then they followed that up by playing another ranked team and winning another game um, this week against Oregon State. So I just want to highlight Arizona as a very, very good team that, you know, has really flown under the radar because that early season loss in overtime to Mississippi State kind of made their resume look a lot worse, and they just don't have enough wins to be a ranked team, but they're probably playing better at the moment than a lot of the teams at the bottom of the poll. And I would say that, you know, if you were to put them in USC on the field right now, I'd pick Arizona to win that game if it was at home or on a neutral field um, for them. And I just think that they played well all season. And UCLA-Arizona this weekend is going to be a really good game and a really good indication of can Arizona actually keep this up or have they just been playing well for two weeks and been lucky based on circumstances. It'll be really interesting uh, to see that. But the fact that they're already 2-2 two and two in a stretch of Washington, USC, Washington State, and Oregon State probably maybe four of the top five teams in the conference, or four of the top six at least. It's just remarkable that they've been able to do that considering their preseason expectations. Um, But that's all I got for college football, although I say that's all I got. Like, I didn't talk for like 15 minutes, but it was a great weekend of games. Um, And it was also a great weekend of games in the NFL. Uh, Maybe, maybe, maybe great isn't the greatest word to describe it, but the games were close. I'll put it that way. Uh, We started with the Titans beating the Falcons 28 to 23. That game featured Will Levis throwing four touchdown passes. Um, Something that I did not expect to see at all was Will Levis breaking out this week. I didn't know much about that uh, quarterback situation heading into things, but you know what? Good for Levis, honestly. In his first career start, you know, they started this game playing a two-quarterback system with Malik Willis taking a few snaps as well. Um, He ended up really only coming in and running read options. Um, But the fact of the matter is, Levis was amazing, and that was the reason why uh, Willis didn't get any playing time in the rest of the game. He completely outperformed Malik Willis. Of course, Malik Willis didn't even get to throw a pass, so it's not like there was that much of a comparison to be made. Um, But 
the Titans, they kind of needed to pick me up. Uh, Ryan Tanhill only had two touchdown passes on the season, and Levis now had four in one game, uh, two in the first half, equaling Tannehill's total for the first six games of the season. So a big jolt for the Titans there. Uh, then you had the ugliest game of all time, the Jets beating the Giants in overtime 13-10. to The Giants shouldn't let the Jets get the game-winning field goal. The Giants missed a, a field goal that probably would have put the game out of reach, 25 seconds left. They got the ball first in overtime and didn't score. There are so many things you could point to of why the Giants should have won this game, uh, but they didn't, and that's the important part. The Jets now instead are an above 500 team, uh, and Aaron Rodgers' pregame looked a lot better than someone who tore his Achilles six or seven weeks ago. Um, so we'll see what happens with that situation. I don't exactly think that means he's returning super soon or that he's not returning. I don't really think it means that much. I mean, I'm just making the observation that he looks a lot better than someone who was supposed to have suffered a basically season-ending injury. Um, but at least according to the typical injury timeline, but the Jets getting that win, very, very important for them. Uh, you know, it's a little too early to start talking playoffs, but if you were to look at the wild card, they are just on the outside looking in tied with Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Cincinnati. Um, but, uh, in the eighth spot based on some tiebreakers there. So they, they're definitely in the thick of things right now, and we'll see if they can stay there. Uh, a team that 100% will stay there. That's the Philadelphia Eagles. They won 38-31. They keep playing Washington close, but Washington keeps not being able to come away with the win. Um, and as a result, the Eagles are 7-1 and on the season, despite the fact that Washington uh, got them to overtime in their first matchup, and then also this time made the Eagles really go down the field, make very, very important game-winning drives, or not game-winning drives, but very, very important fourth-quarter clutch time drives. Uh, but Jalen Hurts was up to the challenge. The Eagles got 21 in the fourth quarter, and they escaped with the victory. Uh, then you had the Panthers. They got their first win of the year by beating the Texans. It would have been a big win, honestly, for the Texans to get to 4-3. and three. Uh, Obviously, I just talked about where the Jets are in the, a in the AFC. Um, I almost said ACC, but in the AFC, based on their record of 4-3. and three, Houston would have been in that mix as well. Now they're not in that mix. Uh, it looks like Jacksonville is going to be really hard to catch in that division, so... Uh, the Texans are really going to have to capitalize on their matchups with the Jags, and the fact of the matter is they already did play them once, and they did beat them in that game. But when you're 3-4 and four and your division leader is 6-2 and two after you've already beaten them, it doesn't leave you much opportunity in the rest of the year um, to make up that difference. We'll see if they're able to do it, but I really do think Jacksonville has a lead that's really hard for those teams uh, to get out from under, and I think that the Texans maybe aren't talented enough to do that, and this would have been a very important game to secure uh, and one that they'll be looking back on at the end of the season, whether they make the playoffs or not, um, as a very, very important game in judging the course of their season. Then you have the Seattle Seahawks, who took over at the top of the NFC West by beating the Browns 24-20. I talked about this game in my prediction, so I won't elaborate anymore. Uh, but crazy thing about this game is that the Seahawks were up 17-7 at the end of the first quarter, and it looked like they were dominant, uh, and they were going to continue to be on offense. And they didn't score until their final offensive drive of the game, which is... Something that you don't see very often, uh, but in the end, they got 24 points. It was just enough to beat the Browns with P.J. Walker. And then going back to Thursday night, wasn't watching this game too much, but the Bills did beat the Buccaneers. It's worth mentioning because the Buccaneers are obviously still in the race in the NFC South because basically every team is in the race in the NFC South because the division is terrible. Um, but the Bills, they needed to start putting some wins on the board. They, they have not played very well recently. Uh, that loss to the Patriots was inexcusable. They should have lost to the Giants, and they didn't. Uh, they started way too slow against the Jaguars, and really just in general, since that game against 
uh, Miami, where it looked like they were proving that they were here to stay. They just haven't played very well, so they're in need of wins. They did get one on Thursday, but you'd still like to see this team be a little more dominant um, than they have so far. Speaking of dominant, we'll move on to the most impressive teams of Week 8, starting with the Cowboys, who beat the Rams 43-20. to I already talked about this one a little bit in the predictions. The Cowboys got a safety. They got a defensive touchdown. They knocked Matt Stafford out of the game. They were up 33-9 to at the half. Just not close. Um, the Cowboys just dominated the Rams. And the Rams aren't exactly one of the best teams in the league, but they're definitely not among the worst like they people thought they would be at the beginning of the season. They're somewhere in the bottom part of the middle tier of the league. Um, so the Cowboys just beating up on a team like that is pretty impressive. Uh, and maybe speaking of that same kind of a team, the Jags did the same thing to the Steelers, winning 20-10 to 10 in an ugly rain game. Um, the Jags only got one touchdown, but that was all they needed to beat the Steelers. They only gave up two scores, and I'm really impressed with their defense. Um, that is what I wanted to highlight. They were getting after Kenny Pickett before they knocked him out of the game, and it eventually turned into uh, Mitch Trubisky, so they got after him pretty well, too. Trevor Lawrence hasn't exactly had a- a- the ideal season, I'll say, but... You know, Travis Etienne has been great. He's picked up uh, the little bit of slack that there was to pick up. Again, I, I, I'm not saying that Trevor Lawrence has had a bad season, just maybe not taking the step that people expected him to. He's still playing pretty well, though, somewhere in that 10th to 15th range um, in the league. But Jacksonville intercepted Trubisky twice. Uh, they sacked. They had three sacks in this game, just very, very disruptive overall. And uh, Pittsburgh also did fumble twice, um, although they did recover three of them, so... Uh, including on defense. So, you know, Jacksonville, good on defense. Pittsburgh, not great on offense. Uh, impressed with how the Jaguars were able to stymie them, though. And they did go on the road and beat a 4-2 and two team, so they do deserve a lot of credit for that. And then the Broncos. I mean, I just couldn't put this game in closest games because the game wasn't close. The Broncos came out and dominated the Chiefs. Mahomes was dealing with a little bit of an illness. Uh, at least that's what the report is. So, you know, maybe you can use that as an excuse for Kansas City. But the fact of the matter is, they still shouldn't be losing to the Broncos. They haven't lost to the Broncos in their last 16 or 18 matchups, whatever it was. This matchup broke so many streaks um, between these two teams, between Mahomes not losing a road divisional game. I can go on and on and on. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, Russell Wilson has been playing well this season. The Broncos' defense is just, they've just been horrendous throughout the year. Um, and that's the reason they've been losing games. So now you see what happens when their defense finally shows up, and they did against an elite team. They were up for the challenge against Kansas City, and all of a sudden you see this team winning by 15 points at home. It really shouldn't be a surprise based on how Russ has been playing, um, but their defense is going to need to make this not a one-week anomaly. This needs to be a sustained thing uh, if they want to remain a good team, and we'll see if they're able to do that in the future. But then you have the Ravens who beat the Cardinals 31-24, on the scoreboard, it looks like it was a close game, but the reality is the Ravens were up 21-7 at the end of the third quarter. Uh, they might have even been up 31-7 at some point in this game, but the Cardinals scored a lot of their points in garbage time. Uh, they scored at least one touchdown and one field goal after an onside kick that was all in garbage time, so this game really wasn't as close as the scoreboard says it was. Um, it was really more like a 31-14 victory for the Ravens, and their defense just kind of let up a little bit when they were playing prevent um, on the Cardinals, but... Look, I'm impressed with their defense. I'm impressed that even in a week where Lamar didn't have ridiculous passing numbers like he did against the Lions, Baltimore still found a way to put up 31 points on the board. And that's kind of something that they need to do. They need to have that offensive balance. I'm not saying that you can't put it all on Lamar's shoulders, but if they can get four and a half rushing yards per carry, that is something that's really, really scary for other teams because then you're actually going to be in a very bad place trying to defend not only just the passing attack from Baltimore, but Lamar 
scrambling out of the pocket when you're already worried about the run game in the first place. Um, and then they're going get, to get after you with their play action because of the fact that you're trying to stop the run. And that's when they become really, really dangerous because their playmakers have been a lot better this year than they have in the past, especially Zay Flowers um, and the Ravens. They've just been playing better all season long. Speaking of a team who's finally started to play better, the Bengals have finally got out of their, you know, beginning of the year rut. Uh, and they made a statement. They made a statement with this victory over the Niners on Sunday. Joe Burrow was great in this game. Uh, this is a very different route to 31 points than the Ravens took. The Ravens took it by, you know, getting good field position, playing well on defense, um, having a balanced game. I mean, I guess you could say the Bengals were balanced, but it really felt like a passing attack. Joe Burrow had four incompletions in this entire game. He was 28 of 32 on 8.8 yards per attempt with three touchdowns. He was sacked three times, but that's to be expected with this team. Um, they also ran the ball at a clip of five yards per carry. Joe Mixon had 16 carries for 87 yards. Joe Burrow had six carries for 43 yards. So they got everybody going. Jamar Chase had a good game, had 100 receiving yards on 10 receptions. Uh, T. Higgins didn't have, you know, the amazing game that his fantasy owners may be asking for. Uh, but five receptions for 69 yards is still a pretty solid game. And overall, the Bengals were just dominant over the Niners. They made Brock Purdy look pretty bad as well. Um... He was 22 of 31 with two interceptions and two sacks. They got after him. Uh, they 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 just did a good enough job containing both the run and the pass from the Niners that they were able to pull out the victory. They deserve a lot of credit for that because they're doing their regular we suck at the beginning of the season thing, and then they just randomly hit a switch, and they're all of a sudden one of the better teams in the league. Um, we'll see if that'll be enough this year because now their division is kind of really a jam-packed one. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens are at the top at 6-2, and two, but the rest of the AFC North is 4-3, and three, so... It'll be interesting to see where the Bengals end up by the end of the year. Um, I expect them to keep playing better and probably by the war of attrition over a whole season, they're, they're going to play more towards an 11-7 and seven type team um, than, or excuse me, an 11-6 and six type team uh, than, you know, the Browns or the Pittsburgh Steelers might. They'll probably be more in the area of 9-8 and eight, um, if I had to make guesses. But fact of the matter is that win was important for the Bengals. And speaking of important wins, the Chargers really needed a win. They could not go to 2-5 and five with the loss of the Bears. They were able to get that on Monday night, excuse me, on Sunday night football, uh, beating the Bears 30-13. They were up 24-7 at the at halftime. They were up 30-6, or 30-7 going into the fourth quarter. It was really just dominance uh, from the Chargers. And, you know, they don't have uh, Mike Williams for the rest of the year, so they needed some other weapons to step up. Austin Eckler finally had a great game. Um, after he has been out for a pretty good amount of time. So, you know, it's good that the Chargers are starting to get their guys back and uh, showing that they can still be a potent offensive team. Justin Herbert's still working through an injury, so they clearly have some issues to iron out still. Um, but the fact of the matter is, they played better this week. I expect them to continue it. Um, and that is all I have for the NFL. I will now move on to the World Series. I'm skipping over Game 7 of Diamondbacks-Phillies because that was so long ago. But we will talk about the World Series now where the Rangers are leading 2-1 to one over the Diamondbacks. Game 1 was an all-timer. Uh, this series really has been... yeah. Well, Game 2 wasn't close. But the series overall has been pretty much a redemption arc from uh, how boring the other series were throughout the playoffs. Game 1, Arizona came out and took a... Excuse me, Texas came out, took a 2 to nothing lead in the first inning. I almost said quarter because I'm really in football mode. Um, and then Arizona got three runs in the top of the third to make it three to two. The Rangers tied it, and then the Diamondbacks scored two runs in subsequent innings in the fourth and the fifth. And up until the ninth inning, there was no scoring in the rest of the game until Corey Seager hit a two-run homer to right field. 
a big moment for another big moment for him in global life field in a World Series. Uh, obviously won World Series MVP with the Dodgers in 2020 in that exact stadium, despite the fact that uh, the Dodgers don't play there, as we know. But look, that that home run was, I mean, it was so important. Obviously, they were going to lose game one. That would be a big deal if they had, especially knowing what we know about the rest of the series now um, and some other injuries that have been key developments. But Texas sent it to extras, uh, no man on second rule in extra innings. And as a result of that, it, you know, it kind of turned into the battle of who can hit the first solo homer. Um, and the team who won that battle was Texas. It was Adelise Garcia who had another big postseason moment, uh, his 20th, I think, postseason RBI with that homer. Look, it's hard to keep track, honestly, of how many RBIs this dude has in the postseason because he's just been on fire throughout all of it. Um, but he hit the game-winning, I should say, walk-off homer um, for game one, although now we know, obviously with hindsight, that he's currently injured, but as we said, the Rangers are up two to one, so that's important. And then, you know, game two, as I said, it, it was, game two wasn't close. I mean, it, it is what it is. The Diamondbacks won nine to one. Merrill Kelly was just amazing. Um, I, I don't, I don't really know how to quantify it. I guess you can by saying he had nine strikeouts and no walks allowed. Uh, one of very few pitchers to ever do that in a World Series start. I think there's four uh, who have done that while also throwing six or seven innings, I think, and less allowing one earned run or less. Uh, Jordan Montgomery was good, but he wasn't good enough for them to win this game. And then when the bullpen came in, Montgomery's final line was six innings pitched, uh, four earned runs, and then he had given up nine hits. So he was just good enough to keep them in the game, but the Rangers' offense never got it going, so they weren't able to make the comeback and win the game over the Diamondbacks having 16 hits, as I said, which is just a ridiculous number. Uh, the Rangers only scored b via a Mitch Garver solo home run. And on Monday, they didn't really pick up the offense production too much, but they had one big inning that ended up being the catalyst for them winning this game, uh, scored all of their runs in the third inning. Uh, Marcus Simeon had an RBI single, and then Corey Seager hit another home run, which knocked Simeon in, which, I mean, now when you look at it, Seager has two two-run home runs in the series. One of them sent the first game to, to overtime, to extra innings where the Rangers would eventually win. And in game three, he hit the three the two-run homer that pushed it from one to nothing to three to nothing. That was all the insurance that the Rangers needed. Uh, Scherzer pitched a good game while he was in. He then got injured, but the bullpen came in and did a stellar job uh, in relief of him. Aroldis Chapman had a rough start to his inning. He gave up a double and a single. Uh, and Arizona brought it within two runs, but then right after that, he rebounded, got a strikeout, got a double play, got out of the inning, and Jose Leclerc came in and got two strikeouts in his inning, although with a little help from uh, the home plate umpire that we won't talk about because I'm trying not to focus on the fact that MLB possibly chose the worst group of umpires they possibly could have chosen and put them all in the biggest moment of the season. Uh, that's a different discussion. You can talk to me about my umpire rants off podcast. I don't like to do that on here. I love to complain about that, not on the podcast. Um, but the Rangers, look, they deserve this victory. Uh, Corey Seager, as I said, one game winning two-run home run, one game tying two-run home run in a game that they eventually went on to win. He is on track to be the World Series MVP if he has one or two big moments, one or two RBIs uh, in another in another Rangers win or, or two, obviously, because they will need two. Um, but Right now, it's still a really, really close series. I would say this is anybody's game, and I think it's obvious because of the fact that the Diamondbacks did get that game on the road uh, at the Rangers, which A, proves that they can win on the road in the series, and B, it meant that until the Rangers came back and stole game three on the road, the Diamondbacks had uh, home field advantage. So we'll see if they're able to 
convert that into a successful World Series win. But for now, that will wrap up all our talk of the World Series. That wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, November 7th, where we will once again look at my weekend predictions, look at Week 10 of College Football Review, NFL Week 9 action, have our review of the end of the World Series, the final MLB review of the season, and potentially have our first look at the NBA season, depending on how long uh, the rest of those reviews take. But in the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including our college football poll that are that is posted every Monday, my first NCAA basketball tournament bracket that was posted last Wednesday and will be updated throughout the rest of the season. Not this Wednesday, but will be updated starting next Wednesday and then beyond once games have actually begun, which I believe is next Monday. Um, and I'm very happy for that. Definitely looking forward to it, as we know. Um, and then also my picks for next weekend's games that will be posted, as always, on Thursday. Uh, all of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.